May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The spokesman for the city of Las Vegas, David Riggleman, told ABC News some time ago that Kenneth Epstein's home was, quote, one of the worst cases of hoarding anyone anywhere has ever seen. Apparently, Mr. Epstein lived in a two-bedroom apartment with his mother, um, who in a retirement community, and she passed away sometime last year. And although he had had this problem with, with collecting and hoarding things, it became um, just explosive after she passed away. His obsessive-compulsive disorder went into high gear, and he just began to hold on to everything. Um, the, the city spokesman said that one of the things that was so unique about Mr. Epstein's home and his uh, particular case of hoarding was that I, apparently, I don't know if any of you have seen this show on television, some of the hoarders, that, that this is a very common disorder, or at least not unheard of anyway, and, and people will leave pathways through their homes even if they collect a lot of stuff. But in this particular case, he didn't leave pathways through his home. He literally had to climb over things to get from one area of the house to another literally climbing over mountains that were to the ceiling of just junk and filth and so on. Um, neighbors called the city many times complaining of foul odors, unsightly uh, appearances, and, of course, that they feared for uh, Mr. Epstein's safety. They wanted somebody to come and do something about it, so the city came out a couple times. Eventually, they got a court order to enter the house. But when they went to enter the house, they actually couldn't get the door open because there was so much stuff on the inside of the house, it had crammed the door closed. So the city had to come back another time and actually remove the door frame from the house to get into the, to the building. When they got in there, they found five refrigerators completely packed with food that was rotting, rotting so bad that it was you know, just an awful smell. They found dead cats in the house and nine living ones. They found all sorts of things. In, in fact, it took 30 truckloads to get all of the things out of this two-bedroom apartment and to the dump. 30 truckloads. Now, thankfully, the city looked at Mr. Epstein's case and saw it as clinical rather than criminal. And so they're, they're doing their best to get him the help that he needs. And I don't point it out to, to, to cast dispersions upon him, uh, but to, to say that that is a serious case and, and we ought to take it seriously. And, and the, I, I pray that this man gets the help that he needs and, and others who are in that same situation. Still, if you've ever seen the show on television called Hoarders or, or read these articles or, or what I've just told you, you cannot help but to think to yourself, come on, man, just... Just let it go, right? You've got to get rid of this stuff. You, you've, got to, you've got to just let go. Take it to the curb. Find some kid. Pay him $3. He'll carry it out for you. Get a broom. Sweep a little bit. I mean, even a messy guy like me kind of feels that compulsion to say, you know, let it go. Throw it away. We have to be, you know, Why is it that you hold on to these things so tightly? But when I say that, it kind of comes back to me, and I say to myself, well, why do I hold on to things so tightly? You know, I'm a pack rat, not a hoarder. There is a, there's a difference in my book. I don't know if there is in yours. But, but, um, but I like to keep things. Dale, do you keep things too? I think, maybe. Uh, so I like, to, you know, nothing really makes me happier than when I, um, when I need something and it occurs to me, oh, 
I've got that out in the garage, you know? And so I go out and I start digging through it and I find what I need. If, if I find what I need and it actually works to fulfill the purpose for which I have for it, I call family meetings, you know? And, and I set my children down. I'm like, 20 years ago, I, I bought this at Kmart, you know? And I used it. See, this is why you hold on to stuff. And my wife gets up and she stands behind me so I can't see her. She's going, no, you do not do that. You know, she's talking him out of it. But I'm so happy when I have the thing that I need. But pack ratting, hoarding, saving, that's only part of it. The other part is that it always seems like no matter how much stuff you have, it's never... The right stuff, is it? I mean, like I saved every plumbing device I ever have bought in my entire life, right? There are little pieces of pipe and whatever in, in this box I have in my garage. But just recently, um, thankfully, Chuck Bout came to save my life. My, uh, my um, water heater went out, was leaking in the garage. And so uh, Chuck calls me up and says, let's fix it. And so he comes over and we, we fix Not one of the things that I saved <laughs> could I actually use to replace that. All these plumbing parts and pieces, no, still have to go back to the hardware store again and again. No matter how much you save, it's like never the right thing, is it? Have you ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? There's this great scene in Goodwill Hunting where uh, Will, this character played by Matt Damon, he's, he's in a psychiatrist's office and he's looking at all the books that are lined up on the shelves. And he's looking through, he's kind of perusing the titles and looking at them. And he turns to the, the psychiatrist and he says, you people amaze me. You surround yourself with books and they're all the wrong books. And you know what? He's right. I've been in offices of ministers, and I'm looking at the bookshelves and, uh, you know, my colleagues, and I think to myself, you surround yourself with books, and they're all the wrong books. (laughs) Why do you buy this junk? I mean, there's good stuff out there. Buy that. And it works in our spiritual lives, too, though, doesn't it? You knew this was coming, right? You knew I was setting you up. That we hold on to all sorts of things. We pull all sorts of things and pack them into our lives. We... You know, good stuff, not bad stuff. Good, we read books and listen to sermons and go to seminars and, and, you know, get books on tape and whatever else you do. Watch DVDs, all these sorts of things to improve our spiritual lives. Sometimes we surround ourselves with all sorts of stuff and it's all the wrong stuff. And you say to me, all right, Mr. Smarty Pants, <laughs> so tell me what's the right stuff? What is the right stuff? Well, not all of it I can't tell you about because there's lots of really good things out there. But there is one thing that is essential. And it was in the book of Acts this morning. You remember that in the book of Acts we have the story of the beginning of the church. We have the, 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 the very beginning of the Christian church. And, of course, the narrative goes, and it tells all about these many missions. We've been through several of them in the Easter season, about St. Paul's missions, for instance, into Asia, and other missions into into Europe, into Greece. We talked about all these different events. Sometimes there are stories about misunderstandings. Sometimes there's a little bit of hard feelings. You know, people want to do one thing and somebody else wants to do another. The, the, the police seem to not like this Christian movement, and they try to shut it down. But it all kind of goes back to the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. 
Jesus has left final instructions at the end of Luke's Gospel and at the beginning of chapter 1 of, of the book of Acts. And here's what Jesus says just before Acts chapter 2 in chapter 1. It's not in your bulletin, but listen to this. Jesus, while he was still with them, ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you've heard from me um, that you were baptized in John, John's baptism with water, but you will be baptized, listen to this, with the Holy Spirit. Wait. Wait until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit before you do any mission, before you preach any sermon, before you structure any sort of ministry, before you appoint any leader, before you talk about who's going to do what or what, before you build any building, here's what you do. You wait for the Holy Spirit. This is the most essential thing. And so Acts chapter 2 begins, right? And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place. What were they doing in this one place? It's not a trick question. They were waiting, right? They were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. But why? Why did Jesus want them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Because without the Holy Spirit, they would not have had the power for ministry that was needed. They would not have had the power to face a, a, a world that was militantly opposed to them, that would kill many of them. They were not ready for the, the sort of rejection. They were not ready to do the sort of things that they needed to do. But when the Holy Spirit comes, there would be power. Now, now look at the text. Look, look with me. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. In parentheses, you could just add waiting. <laughs> and suddenly, look at this. Suddenly, just like this, there came from heaven a sound. Like a mighty rushing wind. Not a mighty rushing wind, but like a mighty rushing wind. Do you see that? It's a simile. Not, not, not exactly a, a description, right? And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. Not divided tongues of fire, but like fire. Like a rushing wind. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in this manifestation of great power. And, and think about the power, the, the images. Like a mighty rushing wind, like a violent, tornadic wind. I don't know if any of you were watching the news or checking it out this week, this uh, tornado that hit in Texas and saw any of the, the devastation. I mean, this wind so fierce that it just would destroy a home, flatten it like nothing. You know, you could not devise, I, at least I don't think you could, a, 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 a device to, um, to turn off a tornado, <laughs> right? I mean, if we could, we certainly would. You can't find something that can, you know, maybe drop out of an airplane and it would just dispel the tornado. Why? Because there is this force of nature so powerful that it just cannot be controlled by human hands, by human ingenuity. It is uncontrollable by human activity. This is the Holy Spirit, right? He is not controllable, not manipulatable. Is that a word? By us. He cannot be manipulated. He's like a forest fire. You've seen these forest fires out of control. This is the image that Luke gives us. Only here's the difference. The Holy Spirit does not come as a destructive force. He doesn't come to destroy homes, to destroy what at creation. He comes to reconcile creation, to reconcile all of creation to God. 
He comes and he gives these gifts, the gifts of languages here. He comes to give the gift of power. Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And, and you know what happens in, in the end of, uh, the, the, it's not in the lesson, but in Acts tw- uh, chapter 2, verse 37, the people hear this. And in verse 41, those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, 3,000 persons were added to the church. Peter, this uneducated fisherman, in a moment stands up and begins to preach a sermon so powerful that 3,000 people come to faith. And it wasn't just him either, was it? It was for all the people. It was for all of them. Your, your old men shall see vision. Your young men will dream dreams. It's on men and women, young and old. All people, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, in some ways, this is a historical event, isn't it? I mean, it happened in history. The first century, the, the Pentecost Sunday, a historical event. But in another sense, I think this needs to be repeated in every generation. We need, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not something that is, you know, and by the way, I would like the Holy Spirit with that. You know, it's not, when I, you you probably don't do this, but when I go to, um, you know, get an ice cream, I'm like, do I want hot fudge? Yes, I do. Um, do, do I want whipped cream? Oh, you bet I do. Nuts? Maybe. Yeah, I do. You know, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, oh, you know, that'd be really nice to kind of go with what we got going on. The Holy Spirit is absolutely indispensable. We cannot have a church without the Holy Spirit. We can have a great community. We can be nice to the nice. I sometimes think that that's what, you know, um, a lot of Western Christianity is. You know, isn't it nice that we can be nice to the nice? You can do that without the Holy Spirit. But you cannot be the church. We cannot have true holiness, real moral purity without the Holy Spirit. He is the sanctifier, the one who cleanses us inwardly and cleanses us as a community. We can't have real spiritual growth, real maturation in our faith. That, by the way, doesn't stop at a certain age. I mean, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You're either growing or dying, right? You are, you are either maturing, becoming a, 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 a more passionate, more deeply grounded Christian, or you're rotting. And it doesn't matter, again, how old you are or how young you are. This passion for, the, for, for God's life in our life, it, it comes and it only comes by a gift of the Holy Spirit. But in particular, there's this. There is no power in our mission. We can have no power in our mission in the world as the church's mission in the world without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do what He calls us to do. We cannot be the church He wants us to be. We cannot make the impact He longs for us to make without the Holy Spirit. Now, what's really interesting is here, you know, in Acts chapter 2, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you flipped over to Acts chapter 4, guess what happens? And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. I like what John Stott says. He said, the reason that we need to be filled and then refilled is because we leak. We do. We we leak the Holy Spirit. There's something about the world that we live in and and our own human tendency towards towards self that, that we lose this power. And we need to come back again and again and again and say, Lord, I need more of you. I don't know if you ever um, watched MASH. 
I used to be a, a big mash enthusiast, right? This, um, these uh, mobile army surgical hospital, is that what it is? In Korea. You remember this, this uh, thing? I'm hoping that some of you remember it. The other day I was at home, it was a couple weeks ago, it was a rainy Monday on my day off, and so I turned on TV land like at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they were running mash reruns. And so I watched for like two hours of mash reruns. <laughs> and I'm all, I'm all caught up. But there's this great episode where there's an air raid in the camp, and this bomb is dropped in there, and it doesn't go off. It's it, it's just sitting there, the whole the whole bomb, and um, and so they're terrified. They're afraid it's going to explode any moment now. So they draw straws, and and who's going to go out there and try to detonate it? Of course, the HQ won't send anybody for six weeks or something. So they have to do it on their own. They got a manual, and and somebody draws straws, and Hawkeye is the one. And so Henry Blake's over behind the uh, behind the you know the sandbags, and he's got the instruction manual, and Hawkeye goes out there with the tools. Okay. And so Henry says, all right, you remove the four screws on the outer casing. And Hawkeye takes off the four ones and he says, remove the outer casing. He takes it off. He says, now, now turn, the, the, turn the firing mechanism four str- times to the left. And so he reaches in there, you know, one, two, three, four. And then Henry looks down at the instructions and he says, and before you do that... <laughs> And Hawkeye, you know, and he takes off running, right? Runs for cover. And in seconds, it explodes. Only instead of shrapnel going everywhere, it's paper, confetti. It it was a propaganda bomb, not a real one. We can do a lot of things, important things. We can surround ourselves with a lot of stuff, good stuff. But one thing, one thing is essential. And if we don't do this one thing, nothing else matters. Wait for the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.